Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode is going to point out some of the various what I would consider to be mistakes made by students of mine. And I'm going to say up front that I've made these same mistakes myself. But what I'm going to fill this episode up with is a, a list of observations that I have made of students and some of their behaviors and methods and mindsets that I felt like held them back. And, you know, when you're teaching somebody lessons week after week after week, you really monitor their progress. You see what's going on. It's different than, you know, if I sell somebody a video, A, I'll never see them probably, and B, I'll probably never hear them. And so it's it's hard to get any feeling, well, it's impossible to get any feeling whatsoever as to how successful that person is or has been at learning what was presented. Now, I know it does work uh, because I hear from people, you know, I've been using your, your this and that, and it's great. And, you know, I learned how to do this and I've, you know, I get reports, but they're, they're few and far between, you know, I don't know why people, maybe people don't think I'm a real person or something. I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's really me in those videos. And that's really me that wrote that stuff in that book. And you really can send me an email if you want to and ask me a you know a question or whatever. Just tell me what's going on. How's the weather in, in Tulsa? Uh, but it's amazing how many people don't realize that they can do that and they communicate. So what, I, what I'm saying is with internet instruction, all the varieties that I have, I don't get a whole lot of feedback. I get, I get enough to convince me that the, the stuff actually works, but not enough to, you know, know anything about any particular individual. So that's your job. You've got to kind of monitor yourself and, you know, determine what's working and what isn't. But in private lessons, in the private lesson world, and I've taught a, a whole lot of private lessons over the years, mandolin banjo, both bluegrass and clawhammer style, bass. I've even taught some electric bass, even though I, I don't consider myself much of an electric bass player. There have been a few times when someone came along and they were wanting to learn to play bass and what they had was an electric and they were playing bluegrass. So, you know, I could, I could sit down and show them how to play bluegrass bass on the electric bass, even though I, I don't know that I've ever played a, a gig on electric bass. I have one and I mess with it a little bit, but I'm primarily an upright bass player when it comes to bass playing. I've taught uh, dulcimer and, and, you know, a lot of beginners on rhythm guitar and some people that were, you know, taking their first footsteps into flat picking and bluegrass and stuff like that. I've taught a lot of people, you know, the rudiments of bluegrass. And I've watched them and I've seen some of the 
errors of their ways, you might say. So this episode is just going to be a list, and this is just in a random order. These are written down in the order in which I thought of them. So they're, I didn't spend a lot of time, you know, cutting all these apart and sorting them and putting them in the proper order. I'm just going to give them to you the way, you know, my memory gave them to me. And as I mention each item, I'm just going to talk a little bit about each item. My point here is I want you to ask yourself, is, is he talking about me? Because some of these things that I will say might be perfect descriptions of you. And, you know, you might not be aware of it and hearing it, hearing somebody say, well, you know, do you ever do this? And you say, oh, yeah, I, I do that. I do that all the time. No wonder I'm not getting any better. You know, that's the idea. It's just a spur of thought. I may talk about some that you go, that's that's not me. You know, he's not talking about me there. He's talking about my brother. You know, that sort of thing. So it's, I'm just going to rattle off what I've seen things that, you know, I'm watching students and they're either progressing or they're not, you know, they're learning the stuff that I'm teaching them or they're not. And those that are not, then I begin to observe, well, okay, well, what are they doing? What are they not doing? And then this, this mental list has built up over the years. So here they are. And the first one's going to seem really dumb. But it, it is so true. Number one, the number one, and this list is titled Common Mistakes Students Make. Number one, failure to practice. And I know that seems so basic and so ridiculous, but... That might be you. You know, I, I remember seeing students. Uh, I've told this story in a podcast before. You know, the student comes, they have their little lesson, and I used to hand write out little receipts for their eight bucks or ten bucks or whatever the lesson was. Give them this little receipt, and they'd put it in their case and shut shut the lid on the, on the banjo. And, you know, well, see you next week, and off you go. Come back next week. Throws the case on the floor, opens it up, and there's that receipt still laying on top of that banjo. Proof positive that the guy did not open the case the whole week. People do that, you know, and that hinders their progress. I'm not even going to get into what constitutes good practice or mediocre practice or poor practice. I've done, I've I did a whole episode on that. Go back and just listen to that. I'm not going to waste time saying it all again. You know, I could, as each student would walk through the door, I could go through that little 15 minute speech about practice every week. You know, I don't want to do that to you. Just if you're not practicing, you're not going to get any better. I'm sorry. There's no magic. You can't, you can't put the tablature under your pillow at night and sleep and think your brain's going to absorb it. It doesn't work that way. You have to practice and you will make progress. If you practice correctly, you will make great progress. Okay. That's number one, failure to practice. Number two is failure to learn the assigned material. 
You know, the, when you sign up for lessons with somebody and you're, you're, you're making the assumption that they know what they're doing. I'm not saying every teacher knows what they're doing or has a well thought out methodical plan for your musical development. A lot of teachers, I think, probably don't. But let's assume that you assume that the teacher knows what they're doing. And you come in for your lesson and the teacher shows you this and you do it and shows you this and you do it and you, here's this tune and let's start working on it and let me show you how to do it and then you do it. And I've done this many, 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 many times at lessons. And then we're getting close to the end of the half hour. And I say, okay, let's stop there. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice the little exercise here, exercise two, practice that until that's really comfortable. And I want you to practice the A part of the tune. Don't worry about the B, forget the B. We hadn't got there yet. We're not ready. Just you come in here next week, playing that A part and playing it well. Okay. They go home. They come back the next week. I say, okay, let me hear that A part. And it's bad. They haven't, you know, they, they totally don't have it at all. So we have to go through it again. We have to start over because they didn't do what I said. What they did is they went home and they, they jammed along with some, uh, Jerry Garcia tape and they played while they watched TV and yeah, they, they went through the A part a couple of times and then they tried the B part and then they turned the page and tried some other stuff and they, you know, are just fooling around. Yet the teacher's assignment was learn the A part, but they didn't, they could have, I mean, it wasn't that complicated. I showed them how to do it. Explained it all, but, but they're distracting themselves by fiddling around with all sorts of other things. You know, my son, you know, he'll get an, a homework assignment from a teacher. He doesn't put any value on that assignment. He just, oh man, I, I don't want to do that worksheet. He's got 10,000 other, other things he'd rather do. And then, you know, he turns it in half done or not done well, and he gets a crummy grade on it. And mom gets all upset and, you know, you got a D on this work. What are you doing? You got to do the assignment. And a lot of my music students have been that way. Just, you're going to have to trust the teacher. If you don't trust the teacher, don't take lessons from that person. But if you do take lessons from that person, at least for a limited period of time, maybe three months, I'd say more like six months, trust them. Actually do what they say. If they say to you, work on exercise two and practice the A part of whatever, Cripple Creek, do it. Don't fool around with other things. Do that. You know, you come in next week being able to do that, and now you can progress. He's now going to move on to the B part and exercise three and four. But if you refuse to follow instructions, well, you might as well quit lessons because 
if you're not going to do what the guy says, why are you paying him? You know, is this just your entertainment? Is this your weekly social engagement with somebody? I, you know, I don't know what it is. Trust them. Do what they tell you to do. And if they say, only work on this, don't, don't do this and this, just do this. You come back next week, I want you to have played that thing a thousand times with the metronome. You know, do what they say. If they say use the metronome, use the metronome. They know what they're talking about. You have to assume that. And after three months or six months, if it isn't working and you're actually following instructions, then... Start looking for a new teacher. But a, a lot of teachers, I think, get a bad rap because their students don't do what they tell them to do. You know, I put out these videos and I'll say, okay, you know, here's how you play the A part. Now practice that along with the track. And then we'll move on. Now here's how to play the B part. Practice that along with the track. And, you know, I wonder how many people actually do it. I don't know. I would say, just, just a guess. Those who do it probably, you know, learn how to play. And those who don't, well, you know what? They don't learn how to play. So that's number two, failing to do your assignments. Number three, I've seen this so many times at lessons. You want to irritate your music teacher. Here's what you do. The music teacher says, okay, we're going to, you know, play a C chord. And here's how you do it. You put the third finger here, your second finger here, your first finger here, and you strum from the fifth string down. Boom. Now let me see you do it. Okay. And they fiddle around and get the C chord. And then the teacher says, strum that chord four times. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Strum, 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 strum. Then, here's the moment. Then the teacher says, Okay, now what I want you to do now is take your pick and play the fifth string one time, and then, str and right at that instant, you hear the student strum the C chord four more times, looking down at their hands and practicing. What they're doing is practicing. They're not listening to the teacher. The teacher is telling you something, and you ain't listening. You're practicing. You're, you're playing. You're fiddling around with your instrument. You've already done the, the chord and you've already strummed it four times. When the teacher starts talking again, you need to stop what you're doing and listen. Because if you ain't listening, you're wasting your money. I wonder how many people watch my videos. And while I'm talking, you know, there are the headshots where I'm just talking to you about what we're going to do, and what we just did. And then there are the close-ups where I'm showing you how to do it. And sometimes I'm talking and sometimes I'm just playing. I wonder how many people are just playing while I do that. And they're not hearing a, a dadgum thing I'm saying. You know, and they're looking over at the tab and they're, they're playing it while they kind of halfway are hearing me. That's not an effective way to do this. And, you know, it doesn't bother me if you do that with videos. But in a private lesson, it bothers me. I'm talking and it's obvious that you're not listening. Because when you're playing your instrument, you ain't paying a bit of attention to what I'm telling you. And so I, I developed this thing, and it might seem a little like that snapping the ruler on the back of the hand type of thing. You know, the old mean school marm. 
But I finally figured out that the only way to get people to listen was to get them to put their instrument down. So I hear Sadie out there barking. There's probably a deer walking through the yard or something. What I, what I came up with, because some students, it wasn't that big a deal. You know, they, they knew that if I started talking, they should just stop what they're doing and listen to what I say and then respond, either play or watch me. I, I can't tell you how many times I've said, okay, hold up, hold up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, stop a minute. Watch. Let me play that for you. Let me show you how to do that. And I go, ding, ding, ding. And they're not looking at all. They're not even looking. I look over at them and they're looking down at their instrument and they're trying to play it again. Now, now how I'm trying to show you this, but you're not even looking. I'm trying to tell you something, but you're not even listening. I see this a lot in, in kids, not all kids, not all kids, some kids, some adults, but you know, you're putting out the money for the instruction. Why don't you just try? Hey, try something new. Actually pay attention. You know, when the dude's talking might be important, you know, when the guy says, all right, watch me. He didn't say, all right, try playing it again. And so don't mix those two up. Watch. Then when the teacher says, okay, let me hear you do it. Then play. Okay. So that's it. Number three, playing when you should be listening. Number four is not memorizing the material. You know, as you learn songs, you need to get them memorized. You know, if you watch, um, go on YouTube and watch Van Cliburn playing Tchaikovsky in, in Russia. I think, I don't know when it was, 1962 or something. He goes over there, you know, he's from Texas and he, he's over there in Russia and playing Tchaikovsky for the Russians. It's an amazing performance. No sheet music, you know. How many classical performers have you ever seen on stage with sheet music in front of them? Yes, the, the whole orchestra. But if you see a soloist, they generally don't have the music. They don't need somebody turning the pages for them. You know, like that old Victor Borga gag of the page turner. You, got, you guys got to watch that. That is just great comedy. I love Victor Borga. And by the way, the page turner, that was actually his son. Anyway, if I, if I can find it, I'll, I'll stick a, uh, stick that YouTube video on the show notes page for today's episode. That is pure gold. Anyway, the point is, I mean, go watch, go to tell your ride. How many people up there have a music stand? How many people have that big book with all those lyrics in it? Come on, lose the paper. The paper is a learning tool and an aid to memory. That's what it's for. It's so that, why did I give tablature to a banjo student at their lesson on Monday? So that on Tuesday, when they practiced, if they practiced, they could remember what I showed them because it's also written down. But if you get 
if you don't work on memorizing and learning to play without relying on the paper, it's going to drag you down and slow you down. Now, it can be handy. I'm telling you, it's, it's handy when you can't remember. Let me just very quickly tell you how to memorize stuff. Look through the thing, play it, turn the paper upside down and try it again. How much did you get? If you get stuck, take a peek. Oh yeah, that's right. And turn it back upside down and do it again. If you have it in front of you at all times, you it's it's a much slower process of memorizing it. You have to test yourself. You've got to force yourself to rely on memory. And eventually you'll have it memorized. And you know, it don't take that long to learn something like Cripple Creek. Once you've learned the basics, you know, you get the two, three slide lick down and, you know, or on the mandolin, you got your shuffle thing and, you know, it, come on. This isn't like memorizing the Iliad or something like that. This ain't going to take you that long. Get it memorized and an aid to memorization is turn the paper upside down. I mean, you know, face down. So you're forced to rely on memory. And then use it when you can't remember. It's perfectly good to look at it. You can't remember? Take a look at it. And when you've got it good and memorized and you're really cooking with it, then I suggest that you turn the paper back face up again. This could be weeks later. And play it again while you're scanning along because you might have changed some of it. You might have modified it completely into something completely different. You go, ooh, man. I totally am not playing what's on this thing. Let's fix that, you know. Okay, so that's number four. Failure to memorize the music. You want to memorize it. I mean, that's the whole point of, of practicing and learning is to train your brain, you know. Now, I'm going to say, you know, if you're, um, if you're a trombone player on Broadway, playing Broadway shows or you're an orchestra member or even a, a member of a marching band or whatever, that music's pretty important. But even in marching band, we memorized everything we played during the halftime show because, you know, that stupid little lyre with those little miniature versions of the Sousa marches and, you know, the horse and all that stuff we played, it was too hard to read that little micro microscopic stuff. It was handy when you were learning it, but... If you got it memorized, then by God, then you could start playing. You could actually start playing. Okay, number five. I will probably never make it through this list. I'm going to have to speed it up here. Number five is a little thing I've observed a lot of students doing, and that is holding their breath while they play. And this is kind of hard for a teacher to detect. But with a couple of students in particular... It became very, very obvious because I would say, okay, okay, we, you know, let's do this song. And, you know, maybe I would pick up the guitar and they've got their mandolin and, you know, we're doing um, Jenny Lynn or something. One, two, one, and two, and two, 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 and they start playing. And we go through the A part twice and the B part twice. And we stop and I hear them go, this giant exhale. You might have actually heard me inhale slightly there. But there's this big sigh of relief, like, 
and you see their shoulders drop. Because they held their breath through the whole darn thing. Or maybe they took a couple of quick little breaths, but holding your breath will tense your body. You need to breathe naturally, as naturally as you can, while you play. You know, you have to breathe, period. Otherwise, you're going to keel over. Your face is going to turn blue, and you're going to keel over. So you have to breathe. But I've seen a lot of people that when, as soon as the spotlight is on them and the pressure is on, they get a big breath in, and they attack the piece. And that breath doesn't move until they reach the end. Unless they're about to keel over and maybe they'll let it out and then do another one. But they're holding that breath and therefore putting a lot of tension in their whole body. So, how do you fix that? Well, number one, you gotta, you got to think about your breathing. You know, you normally don't have to think about your breathing. But if you're doing this, I don't know, maybe we could call it um, musical apnea. Or something. I don't know. If you're holding your breath while you're playing, that is going to cause tension. Uh, if you know anything about target shooting and archery, uh, you know, like shooting a 22 rifle at a target. One of the things that real expert target shooters do is they... They take a breath in and then they release it slowly about half to three quarters of the way. At that point, they will be very relaxed. And when they're on the target, they actually wait in between heartbeats and then squeeze. If they took that shot at the top of their breath, when your lungs are completely full, you're going to find a lot more shaking. If you look through the scope of a rifle, you will see a lot more wavering than if you ease out and let most of the breath out. Your body relaxes. Your whole body relaxes on exhale, and it tenses somewhat on inhale. So you need to be inhaling and exhaling, inhaling and exhaling, not holding in that tension throughout your solos. And, you know, most people, I think, breathe pretty naturally when they're playing rhythm because there's no pressure on them. By the way, that, that same stuff is true for archery. You know, all right, that's enough about breath. Maybe I'll do a whole episode about breath. Okay, number six is... Um, Students tend to get really good at playing sitting down because typically at a lesson, you know, the teacher's been there all day and he's, he's going to have him a chair, you know, and he's got a chair for you. And so you're playing all the time sitting down and then you practice all the time sitting down and then you go to a bluegrass festival and everybody's standing up and you can't play. So all I'll say there is you need to practice standing. Most performers stand, not all, but most performers stand and I think you'll play better if you stand up. You need to learn how to play standing. So, you know, throw that chair away and crank that music stand up high and start standing up while you play. Okay, number seven. Lack of practicing 
along with an accurate time reference. And by that, I mean a metronome or a good musician or a jam track. Now, you can practice without those things, and there are times for it. But many beginners and intermediates and some advanced players still don't have good timing. Just that, that in, internal pulse going. You know, if you can't pat your foot steady, what makes you think you're going to play steady? You know, well, you can develop that. You develop it by playing along with things. Put a metronome on, set it on 60 and tap your foot to it. Do that for an hour a day. For a year. <laughs> It'll improve your timing. It really will. You might want to vary the tempo from time to time. Otherwise, that might be the only tempo you ever are able to maintain. But look, these things come with practice. Everybody's got internal clocks and they work and they're messed up by you working on, you know, trying to play Cripple Creek. You're, you're fooling around and all of a sudden this little thing, it's a little difficult comes and you're more interested in that than that steady flow of time. So if you practice along with a metronome, it'll go as slow as you need to if you can't Make that chord change or play that lick at that speed. It simply means you're going too fast. Slow it down. And then you're maintaining that steady rhythm while you practice very slow. Tracks are great for that because they're more fun to play with and they give you some chordal context for what you're doing. But I'm just making a mini case here for use the metronome, use the tracks. I wonder how many people have bought my Mandolin Masterclass book, and I used to put it out in a print book with a CD. I wonder how many of those CDs never even went inside CD player. And they're missing it. You're, you're missing it. That's You know, they're there for a reason. Anyway, use the tracks. Number eight, and this is kind of similar to the one before, going too fast, you know. And, and this is one of those things, I'm going to take both sides of the coin. Uh, some people are just going too fast. You know, if, if you're making mistakes, slow it down. Get them right. Practice at that speed until it just becomes stupidly easy. And then notch it up a little bit. And then notch it up and find the point where it begins to break, break down and fall apart. And back up a little bit and find the problems and fix them. And, you know, a lot of people won't do that. And that's why they fail to, to advance, you know. But on the other side of that coin is you have some people who just refuse to ever play anything fast. They're just afraid of it or maybe because they play so terribly when they go fast. But you've got to push it once in a while too. You know, sometimes you're lifting weights and sometimes you're walking and sometimes you need to just take off and sprint. You know, and see what happens, you know, certainly for testing purposes, because there are just some things, especially in bluegrass, that really don't get to clicking until you get them at the right speed and you get them up in that, that zone where people really play. I mean, bluegrass is, 
typically a fast form of music, and so are other kinds. I mean, I can find plenty of examples of bebop, and jazz, and classical, and Celtic that are just blazing fast. So it's not just bluegrass. But don't be afraid to test drive it at high speed. Sometimes just put the metronome up at some crazy point and try the thing a few times there. And just, you know, not just once, try it a few times and some, perhaps some things might surprise you. But if it's a mess, you know, slow that baby down and start over. Okay, here's the next one. Number nine, just to show you how out of order and how random these are. And this is... This is really advice for you when you're taking lessons. You know, you've signed up down at the music store and you're taking lessons. I've seen this a lot. Not paying. Not paying for the lesson in the manner described by the teacher. You know, if the teacher says, you know, I want you to pay me each week. Well, then that's what you do. You pay them each week. And I would suggest you do that immediately as soon as you arrive. If the lesson is 20 bucks, when you walk in, hand the dude 20 bucks. Just get that money stuff out of the way. But, you know, I can't tell you how many times. I I used to have that policy. It was just, let's get the money out up front, out of the way, you know. Walk in, don't see them pull out the money, don't have a check. You know, it didn't happen. It usually happens. It didn't happen. Uh, Just go on with the lesson, get to the end. I'll say, oh, uh, you know, by the way, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, did you throw the check in the box? I I didn't see you do that. Um, Oh, man, I forgot my checkbook. All I got is a $10 bill, you know. I've heard this stuff so many times. I mean, come on, people. It's a contractual agreement. You made the agreement with the teacher. He's going to give you so much time and his instruction, his or her, and you're going to pay him. So keep up your end of the bargain. I'll tell you what, nothing will annoy a teacher more than to not be paid paid, or to be paid late or to be paid erratically because it's harder to keep up with. It depends on the teacher and how they do their bookkeeping. You know, a lot of teachers are like, you pay up at the beginning of the month. It's the first of the month, you know, lesson fees are due. And, you know, 80% of the students show up with it and 20% don't. Well, what do you do with those people? You know, this teacher's trying to pay his rent and his car out and stuff like this. You're All I'm saying is live up to your contractual agreement with your teacher. Okay. Don't make it overly complicated with them. You know, I finally threw up my hands at this because I realized how bad people were at doing this. Not everybody. 20% of the people were just lousy at keeping up with their part, which is pay me. They just, you know, didn't put any priority on it, you know, and figured like, well, you know, I'll just, can I bring it next week, you know? So I, I mean, I threw my hands up to this and I finally just put a box right there where they come in the door and it said, put your lesson money here. And I never asked them about it. I didn't keep any records. I didn't check off whether you were present, paid, nothing. I just threw that, all those, that book away. I said, just put your money in there. Whatever. 
And at the end of the month, I would take the box, dump it out on the table, and count it up and divide it by my lesson fee. And that's how many lessons I taught. Because the ones that weren't paid for, that wasn't a lesson. That was just a jam session. And you know, it was weird. I, I typically found that at the end of the month, there was actually more money in there than I had records or, you know, on my calendar of lessons. There'd be like an extra 20 in there. Where'd that come from? And it's because the students were so bad at keeping track of whether they had paid or not. They'd come in, they go, hmm, I can't, I'm not sure I paid them last week. I better put 40 in there, you know? So it actually came out positive and it was a whole lot less trouble. But I'm just saying, look, it's a business relationship with your teacher. They want to be paid and that's your responsibility to pay them. So don't make that mistake. And I'll tell you what, the teacher's attitude changes when there's all that funkiness and erraticness in the payment. Their attitude changes. They don't... um, they're not going to dish out, like run long on the lessons and loan you their books and send you home copies of CDs and all that stuff kind of starts shriveling up if you're not doing your part and that can hinder your progress. I can't tell you how many half hour lessons I've given over the years that were an hour and 20 minutes because I didn't have anybody following them and, you know, we just were on a roll and I can't tell you how many times I've sent books home with people and loaned them records and gave them a set of strings and all this kind of stuff. But let me tell you, that stuff dries up if you're not doing your part and paying for for all that stuff you're getting. So pay your teacher. Number 10, lack of understanding of the thing that they're being instructed in. You know, there's, it's especially in beginners, they don't really know what they're even trying to learn yet. You know, maybe they heard, I give you kind of, this is just a made up example, but let's say you saw a tenor banjo on TV and this tenor banjo player was just wearing it out and man, it was amazing, you know, and the, the person viewing it goes, man, I want to learn to play the banjo. They get on Amazon, they buy a five string banjo and then they call you up and take, they want to take banjo lessons. And they come in, they got that good time five string open back banjo and they sit down and you show them how to tune it, how to make a G and a D seven chord. And you start showing them how to wear the picks and how to do the rolls. And they go home, they come back next week. They're no better. And then, you know, this goes on for weeks and they've never heard Earl Scruggs. They don't even know what you're teaching them three finger Scruggs style. And what they got in their mind is like this wild man tenor banjo player it's no wonder they're not making any progress they don't even know what it is i had this guy he took lessons for i don't know six months or so i was going through the standard bluegrass you know basic instruction he wasn't making any progress at all finally i was just like let me ask you have you ever heard of earl scruggs no Have you ever heard of bluegrass music? Do you know what that is? And the guy said, is that like, like Leanne Rhymes? I was like, no. Okay. Sent him home with a copy of uh, Foggy Mountain Banjo. I said, listen to this. Come back next week. (laughs) And if that's what you want to do, we'll continue. (laughs) 
if you want to, you know, I don't know what you, if you want to play banjo like Leanne Rhymes or something, I, don't, I, I can't help you. Okay, so have a, make sure you have a meeting of the minds between you and your instructor about what it is you really want to do. He might not be the dude. Don't come to me for electric blues guitar lessons. I am not your man for that. No, uh-uh. I love the stuff, but I, I can't teach it to you, and I can't play it. You know, you come to me, you want to learn Cripple Creek? <laughs> no, I'm your man. I got that, you know. Okay, uh, number 11, giving up too soon. Seen a lot of students that I thought had real potential, you know. Eight weeks of lessons, and then they're done. They just they quit. You know, maybe it just wasn't their thing, you know. Who knows? It's, you know, you can't lose sleep over, you know, trying to figure out people's motivations and stuff. Um, but I think a lot of people fail at becoming good, competent musicians just because they they get frustrated and they give up too soon. I've done podcasts on this, dealing with discouragement. I think it's number podcast episode number two. Maybe, you know, if people, would, when they get to feeling that way, just listen to that and maybe they would, you know, get back on the horse. Okay, number 12. See this a lot. Too much hunting for secret weapons. You know, the magic pick. Different kinds of strings. Changing my bridge. Changing my tailpiece. And even thinking that it's the instrument's fault. And it can be the instrument's fault. I, I mean, I do believe a, a good setup on any instrument is important and that a better quality instrument helps. For one thing, you're, you're invested in it. And you when you invest in something, you tend to hang with it a little longer. And that hanging with it a little longer tends to lead towards, you know, better musical development but i've seen people that had perfectly adequate instruments there really wasn't any reason they need to be switching picks or changing strings let's try these flat wounds or you know they're doing all those things and it's fun you know you can get on manlin cafe and you know talk all about different kinds of picks and you know but are you practicing you <laughs> know it, it, those things are interesting and fun, but they're not a substitute for real practice. Okay, so may, just be careful. That's not you, that you're not always looking for the silver bullet or the secret weapon. Because there ain't no secret weapon. Number three, I could do a whole podcast on this, and I should. The lack of belief. That, you know, the student simply doesn't internally believe that they are capable of ever becoming any good and they fulfill that. They believe that they will be forever lousy and that is exactly what they become. Lack of belief. If that's you, try to find ways to improve your belief in yourself. And I'm going to tell you, to me as a teacher, the best way to that I could improve that. And I saw some people just saddled with this, that I just, 
I knew they were capable, but they didn't. And my, my method was to give them things that they could succeed at and try to make those things fun. Even if it was just learning two chords on the guitar and then let's play it with this, you know, play it along with this, uh, uh, Del McCurry band tape. Let's play along with that here. You, it's just them two chords. Let's play with them, you know, give them something they can do and then try to make it fun. That improves belief. Nothing, nothing improves, you know, self-confidence like success, you know, consider lack of belief. That is a common thing that holds people back. Number 14, the fear of playing with others. Bluegrass is a group thing, you know, there are no solo bluegrass acts, you know, there's some good solo, there's some bluegrass musicians who can play solo and play very well, but it, that's not bluegrass. I'm sorry. You know, Bill Monroe sitting on the porch playing rawhide is not bluegrass. It's Bill Monroe sitting on the porch playing rawhide. It's a group effort. And if you're afraid to get in with other people, that'll hold you back. So you got to get up the nerve to go to jams, festivals, form a group, you know, that will help your play. Absolutely will. I'm not saying you should start performing yet. You know, I don't like to see really bad bands out performing. Come on, get your ducks in a row and then perform, you know? Okay. Number 15. Once somebody has gotten their nerve up to start going to jams and it's fun and wow, this is great. Some people, some students begin to use that attending basically slow jams as a substitute for all that learning stuff they were doing before. They begin to learn the tunes that the, the, the other members are playing and they're learning it in the jam you know, learning it in that environment. And look, there are things you learn that way and can only learn that way. That's why I say you have to play with others, but you shouldn't do that to the exclusion of your individual study. If you get to the point that you can play three chords on the guitar and you got the basic boom chick thing going on and you start going to jams and you quit your lessons you're going to get better in fits and starts. You know, suddenly somebody's going to play a chord you don't know, and you're going to have to ask them, you know, and that sort of disrupts the whole flow of the jam, you know, Oh, what was that chord? I, how do I do that? Well, you know, you could, if you were continuing both sides, which is playing out and playing with people as well as, focused practice and learning, whether it's with a teacher or, or with online stuff or books or whatever, you need to continue that. Don't just drop that just because now you're able to play, you know, you know, five chords and you can sing a couple tunes. And so you're there, you know, no, you're not there, you know, you're not there. So don't, uh, you know, fall into that trap of, just becoming a, all you do now is jam. You don't practice and you don't learn anything new. You're just going to stagnate and uh, stink up the place, you know? Okay. Number 16, 
seen this an awful lot, working on too many things at once. You got too many projects going, too many irons in the fire, musically speaking, too many songs you're trying to learn at once. And sometimes this is the fault of the teacher. I've been guilty of this. You know, I'm teaching the first song and in eight weeks, they still haven't gotten it. I'm, I'm just going over and over the same thing every week, over and over and over. And I go, well, let me, let me show you this other thing, you know, and I move ahead and now I've introduced a second song and then maybe a third and then maybe a fourth. And they're still not even really doing well on the first one because they're not practicing and they're not doing the assignments and they're not doing what I suggest and all that and possibly other reasons. But pretty soon you got a bunch of stuff on your plate. It's hard to make good progress when you're trying to do a whole lot of things at once. Ultimately, as you become a better musician, you do want to do a lot of things. Um, especially once, let's say you got 25 tunes under your belt as a banjo player. You need to be going back and working on those things and repeating them and refreshing your memory and so on. It becomes bigger and bigger, but there's always this new thing you're trying to learn and you really need to focus, you know, half of your time on working on that. I just think a lot of certainly beginners and intermediates get held back because they're trying to do too many things. Because if you can't play the first tune, the tendency is, well, let me, let me turn the page and work on this one. Well, I have a little trouble with that. Let me, let me do this. And that just divides their time up and they don't get better, better at any of them. There's a reason the teacher gave you this tune first, you know, and the better you are at that tune, the better you'll be at the next. So try not to spread yourself too thin and you could even, uh, you know, I'm a bluegrass guy, but you could do this stylistically too. I mean, if you're trying to play 10 styles of guitar, you want to learn finger picking and classical and electric and jazz and bluegrass all at the same time. Hey, more power to you. But if you focus on one thing, you'll probably get better at that one thing. Okay. Next thing, number 17, we're almost to the end here. Students fail, f failure to isolate difficult parts. Let's say you're playing old Joe Clark, A part twice, B part twice. And there's one little part there, second half of the B part that gives you a little bit of trouble. If you will pull out just that section and practice that over and over and over and over correctly, slow enough until you got it, speed it up until it's the same speed as the rest of the stuff, and then put it back in and try it again, you'll, you'll get it. But if you have this start at the beginning, play all the way to the end mentality of play the whole thing, play the whole thing, play the whole thing. Well, you've only gotten three repetitions of that very difficult spot. So just pull the difficult spot out, do it 250 times, then play the whole thing. So failing to isolate difficult parts will hold you back. Here's the last one. This is kind of a, kind of a odd thing to discuss. It's as, as much about psychology as anything. And that is I've seen in a lot of students, a lack of desire to perform. They, you got this person 
They want to play. But I wonder why. Why do you want to learn to play? Well, I just want to pick along a little bit. I just want to, I want to be able to go to a jam session. But they want to sit on the fringes. They don't want to get in there. They don't want to sing. They don't want to, uh, you know, ever take a solo. Well, that's just because they have low self-confidence. If they could, you know, pick the snot out of that thing, they would. You know, but they don't think they ever can. So they have no desire to perform. I, I would suggest to people, I'd say, you know, why don't you and your, you know, your buddy, he takes mandolin lessons from me. Why, why don't you two to get together and, you know, find yourself a banjo player and put yourself a little band together. Just get together on Saturdays and practice some and work on these tunes together. And No, because they would have to play in front of people, you know. Anyway, this lack of uh, the desire to perform holds people back. Because if you do have the desire to perform, and I don't mean that you're a type A show-off. There are those, too. Those people, you can't even hold them back. You know, they'll perform even when they shouldn't. You know? But some of them get very, very good, too. I'm not saying you have to be that. But if you have no desire to ever perform on stage, what that tells me is you have no desire to become good enough to perform well on stage. It's like, you know, you just set your goal too low. Your goal is, you know, pick it along. Well, how good do you have to be to do that? Not very good. Well, there, there's your goal. That's where you're going to end up. You're not going to be that good. But if you, if your goal is, well, you know what? I would like to have a band and I would like to be able to play, you know, at, at the little peanut festival. I would like to be, you know, have somebody call us and want us to play, you know, by the pool at, at a party and perform, you know, that'd be fun. I'd like to play at, the, at this festival. I have, you know, they have a bluegrass festival here. I wish we were up there. Well, now you got something to work towards. You don't want to get up there and look like an idiot. You don't want to get up there and sound bad. Performing puts that added pressure on you to learn and perform well. Not everybody lives up to it, and some people far exceed it. And if you far exceed the expectations, then you can climb higher on the ladder. But a lot of people just lack this desire to perform. And it's a shame because... What is music anyway but communication? And if you're just playing for yourself, sitting around your lonely garret, plunking on your instrument for your own personal psychological health or enjoyment, you know, that's good. All musicians do that. Bill Monroe sat around on his porch and played. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But who's receiving the music other than you? It's kind of a selfish little world. Share it. Put it out there. Send your music to someone else. That interaction between you and that other makes all the difference. And that is what music is about. Yes, it can be personally very important. You know, there are countless hours I've just sat around the house or sat out in front of the barn, just play it. 
for my own enjoyment, and I enjoy it. But I also enjoy standing up on stage and doing that because I see all those other people enjoying it, and that magnifies the power of the whole experience. It's like that old, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody there to hear it, did it make a sound? You know, if you're playing Foggy Mountain Breakdown in your bedroom and there's nobody there to hear it, have you made music? Anyway, there are 18 things that I believe hold things back. I could probably come up with another 50. But this thing is approaching an hour in length. So that's it. Review those items and see if any of those are afflicting you and holding you back. And if so, you know, maybe you got something worthwhile out of this. Thanks once again to those of you who have supported the show financially through purchases of any of my products or through the Grass Talk Radio supporter deal or in any other way. It means a lot to me. And I thank those of you who, who do that. That's it for this week. And, uh, see you in the next podcast. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Thank you.